Step on a crack, break your mama's back. I shouted to Nola on one of our walks around the neighborhood recently. What did you say? She was understandably confused. So I tried to explain. It's, it's a game. You try to not walk on any of the lines in the sidewalk. And if you do, then um, we, uh, we pretend that mommy gets hurt. <laughs> mommy, she said, sounding nervous. This was not going well. You're just not supposed to step on any of the lines. So I demonstrated hopping from square to square, carefully avoiding the, the cracks. She walked over all of them. Never mind. But then she hopped up on the stone edge of a flower bed, tightrope walking down the length of it and declaring, the floor is lava. And we played that all the way down to the corner. This is how it goes on our walks. They start out as trips to the grocery or the bakery, or these days just excuses to get out of the house before we all lose it. But they quickly become games. We begin in our neighborhood, but within a block, the boundaries of Ravenswood are redrawn to become the, the Hundred Acre Wood or Narnia or Hogwarts. Without knowing it, I step over some invisible line she's decided on, and I have suddenly moved from our friendly stretch of Paulina into the danger of the forbidden forest in which we must creep around looking for signs of unicorn blood. Running down Hermitage, we are fleeing the white witch in a land where it is always winter and never Christmas. And then we cross some imaginary boundary down by the German school and I hear, Daddy, I'm cold. And we're back out of the wardrobe on our way home. Game over. With just our imaginations, we transform the landscape from, from a city street to a forest or a castle or a lava field. We can create a world of danger or safety or talking yellow bears just by saying so. Just by pretending to both see that same invisible line and agreeing on what it means. Which is basically the definition of geography as far as I'm concerned. It's all just drawing invisible lines and agreeing on what they'll mean. Ravenswood or Uptown, North Side or South Side, wealth or poverty, danger or safety, depending on where the lines are drawn. In our book group book this month, Barbara Kingsolver wrote about the imaginary country of Benin not imaginary in the same way as Narnia, but with borders that are just as arbitrary. This narrow sliver of West Africa carved right through the traditional territories of at least three peoples. And just declared a country because enough people pretended that it was. And unlike our game with the cracks in the sidewalk, the danger of colonialism's lines is real, the history of exploitation, of oppression and violence that have resulted from the drawing of those imaginary lines, imaginary countries, including our own. And, and in our own country, of course, those lines have continued to divide us, carving up resources and cutting across communities 
in our own city, the, the Federal Housing Authority drew lines on a map, you, you know this. In this case, they were paying very close attention to where certain peoples lived. And with the stroke of that red pen systematically deprived black and brown communities of mortgages and insurance, made it nearly impossible for families to own their own homes and ensuring that those who did the impossible still saw their property values decrease all while, while their white neighbors created generational wealth in the suburbs with generous government assistance. And nearly a hundred years later, you can still walk through our city and see the effects of those imaginary lines. You can suddenly move from, from friendly to forbidden as you step off one block and onto the next. And it's nothing new, of course, world history is full of stories of people fighting over who gets to draw the lines. The Bible is full of it. The Israelites' lives are, are shaped and reshaped over and over as empire after empire conquers their little sliver of land. Their fortunes change with the borders, their home becoming a place of, of plenty or struggle or safety or exile. When Isaiah 40 is written, this every valley, every mountain, the people have been dragged across several borders. The boundaries of what they call Israel mostly exist in their minds and in their scriptures as they read about them and, and long for them from their captivity in Babylon. In the minds of their captors, of course, they haven't crossed any borders. Their, their map just shows one empire from the Mediterranean all the way to the Persian Gulf, all ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar. And wherever the king draws the lines, everyone must pretend to see them. And whatever the king says they mean, everyone is forced to agree, at least officially. But privately among the people, the, the prophet has a different idea. Maybe it's divine inspiration. Maybe it's just catching on to the way things work, how every every line begins in someone's head and how if you get enough people to agree, any landscape can be transformed. But he gives it a shot. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Draw a new line from captivity to freedom. Imagine a path that runs from Babylon back to the ruins of Jerusalem, the shortest possible route and the flattest. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. See in your minds an, an easy way home. The uneven ground shall be level and the rough places plain. See in your minds a new world without, without high and mighty kings or lowly subjects, without mountainous empires and pitiful peoples who live by their whim. Make believe with me an, an even playing field. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. Everyone will see the world that we've dreamed of and agree on what it means. Knowing the power of make-believe geography for creating destruction, the prophet wonders if the same power could be used for good. Can a new world 
be as easy as a stroke of the pen, as an agreement between people to transform a land of danger into safety. If enough people decided it was so, could it be so? I was reminded of those goofy games about cracks in the sidewalk and molten floors in a book I got for Christmas called The Infinite Playground. It's by this guy, Bernard de Coven, who children of the 80s among you, uh, he's basically responsible for getting every elementary school to buy a parachute for us to play with in gym class. Bernie was a leader in the new games movement of the 60s and 70s, which is as hippy-dippy as it sounds. He made up a lot of games you probably played at summer camp or in youth group. But in the gaming community, he's even more famous for his philosophy of gaming, or really his philosophy of life as game, or, or playfulness as a posture toward life that by bringing play into every aspect of life, we're able to imagine new things. We can see the possibility of change in our families, in our work, in our neighborhoods, our countries. And if enough people see it together, we can reshape our world, we can create real change. His ability to see life as a game meant that Bernie could point to all the places where we're asked to play games that are not of our choosing. All the rules that we are handed, all the objectives we're told that we should be working toward, how we're supposed to be carving up the game board, vying for control over as much of it as we can get. By seeing life as a game, he was able to point out how little fun that is for most of us. And fun for Bernie was the point. He insisted that, that every game should be voluntary and that what is important is not whether the players are good enough to play the game. That's what we focus on so often in like organized sports. He said the important question is not whether the players are good enough for the game, it's whether the game is good enough for the players. Is it fun enough for everyone? Is it worthy of our time and imagination? Do we wanna keep playing? And if not, let's change it up, play something else or, or rewrite the rules to make it better. That, that was the thing that surprised me most about this book by a game designer, a very casual approach to rules. He describes a bunch of games in this book and he leaves a lot of leeway to just make it whatever you will. Maybe the players are blindfolded, maybe they're not. That would change the game quite a bit. Maybe you choose someone to start, maybe you wait for someone to start spontaneously. Everything is optional, open to reimagining by the players. He even advocates for what he calls the well-timed cheat which he says is usually put into practice at the moment it is most needed. Just when the game isn't as much fun as it should be, when people are getting too serious about winning or losing, when they're at risk of getting hurt physically or emotionally, somebody does something that not only is a flagrant violation of the rules, but also makes everyone laugh. 
the well-timed cheat when the game is not as fun as it should be. It's like a voice in the wilderness reminding us, this is just a game. We made it up. If we don't like it, we can make up something else. New boundaries, a level playing field, all these rules, all these lines are just make-believe. Let's change them in a way that brings more people into the game. And it may take time to catch on, whether it's Babylon or white America, the ones winning are always the last to see that the game is no good. But Bernie, I think would say, start small with whoever wants to play. And if the game is good, if it's worthy of the players, people will join in. And if enough people join in, it will change the world. The last game in Bernie's book is called Passing Humanity. I played it this week on a walk around our neighborhood. The rules are a little squishy, but basically you try to make a connection with each person you pass. Maybe you say hi, maybe you smile. And if they say something or smile back, humanity gets a few points. You decide however, however many, whatever seems fair. And if they don't, the other side scores. The points, of course, are arbitrary, just like the rest of it, completely made up. What's real is the way it makes you see your neighborhood and your neighbors differently. How it erases some of the lines that I've drawn to carve the place up into tiny separate slivers how it moves the boundaries of the playing field out and out and out until everyone I pass is in the game and we're all wearing the same color jersey. What's real is the line it helps me to see running between me and each other person. What's real is that imaginary line that connects me to, to them, to you, to all people and how when we see it together, the glory of God is revealed. <laughs>